Well, good morning. Welcome to Awakening Church. My name's Ryan. Uh, you just listened to and want to thank Elizabeth Honeycutt for leading us in worship this morning. You'll get to hear more of her uh, a little bit later. But what a joy to get to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, we're in a series, Unnoticed Grace Was True of You. Uh, perhaps that you never knew. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Um, Jesus, uh, this morning we welcome you here. We invite you to speak and to work. We, we come confident that you have something to say to us. And so I ask that you would give us open hearts, receptive uh, to what you're doing, and then, and then not just a hearing, but a doing, that we would respond to your truth. We'd be changed by your grace. We'd be a people who are marked by the love of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I was eight years old. I uh, lived in rural Texas. And was playing basketball with friends outside. And there's a few uh, supervising adults, mentor types that you look up to. And I had a marking moment that to this day still impacts me. Uh, this adult in my life looked at me and then took his fingers and just kind of pinched my side like this and said, hey, Ryan, you're getting kind of chunky. You going to laugh at that? Really? So I don't want to make fun of you, but this isn't funny for me. And he said, I need to lay off the snacks. It's the first time that I can remember my earliest memory that I, that I became so self-aware. That I became painfully aware that I didn't measure up. That I needed to do. That I needed to be. I needed to achieve. I needed to look a certain way to fit in, to be accepted, to feel worthy. It's perhaps the first time in my short life at that point that I'd say I felt worthless, eight years of age. That feeling, that thought, has followed me. That way of thinking of not quite there, you have to do something to be worth it, became a pervading theme in my life. So I set myself to achieve, to perform, And I just wonder, I wonder how you're doing with this idea. Uh, have you ever wondered why you struggle with your worth, your value, your significance? Why good things don't ever fully satisfy or validate you, make you feel worthy? Why is it that you can have so many good things and yet they never quite fulfill? I think this is true, that oftentimes out of our sense of worthlessness, we strive to prove ourselves 
worthy, don't we? Could it be that you showed up this morning and God wants to speak to you, and I believe in such a powerful way about your worth? Because oftentimes, many of us are still living out words that someone said to us as a kid, and the crazy part about it is it doesn't matter how old you get, does it? You still hear those words ringing true. This morning, we're talking about worth and what's true about you that you never knew. The question before us is, where do I find my worth? Where do I find my value? Where do I find my significance. I think there's five core areas where we generally tend to identify and try to find our worth in life, try to somehow answer that question that for all of us at one point was posed, whether it was a, a adult on the basketball court pointing out something in front of every other kid that made you feel worthless. But we've all had that experience. We've all had those thoughts. I think there's five areas where we seek to find our worth. Uh, The first area is in what we do. Wow. Uh, And it's this area of, and you've done it, I've done it, whether it's your career, maybe it's your education, hobbies, that, that your performance somehow makes you valuable, somehow makes you significant, somehow makes you worthy, and pour all of your energy, maybe it's into your work, you pour pour all of your energy, maybe it's into your family, into having the right look home. And we seek to find our self-worth, our self-significance, our self-value in what you do. Maybe that's not quite where you're at. Maybe it's in what you have It's a house, it's a car, it's it's looking the part. You know, one of the hardest parts, I think, in Silicon Valley is for many young families and young people in the area, they can't own a home, and it it shakes some things about self-worth as well of not quite achieving, not being where you think you should be, and not having what you think you should have. And, and so often we leverage our lives to the point where we're completely overwhelmed just simply to have. You're paying that car payment of something you can't afford, and you're buying those clothes and going out to those things, and underlying all of those habits we wouldn't maybe readily acknowledge it is our sense of worth. Maybe it's not what you do or have, but another third area we often seek to find our self-worth is in what we experience. This is the weekend warrior. I I don't know um, if this is the case for everyone, but I, I see a general theme among especially young single men where their goal is to travel as much as they can, as often as they can, and they are the weekend warrior, and I'm sure it's among others, but maybe it's traveling here, there, and experiencing all that you can experience in life, and maybe somehow that will validate you. Maybe somehow that will make you worthy. Or maybe it's pleasure. 
and you're on a pleasure-seeking thrill to experience all the pleasure that you can. And whether it's a drink or whether it's sex or whatever it is, and you're a thrill-seeker and what we experience, we seek to find our self-worth in. Or, you know, this is a predominant one. It's most often attributed to women. But how we look. It's not limited to. But it, it, it is crazy in our culture today. 80% of 10-year-old girls are afraid of being fat. 4% of women in the world would identify themselves as beautiful. And we find our identification and our value and our worth and how we look. And am I skinny in the right places and bigger in, oops, bigger? Okay, thank you very much. In the right places, right? And spend hours upon hours obsessing about how we or maybe perhaps it's who we're with. And for some, you walked in today and you don't feel like you have worth because you don't have her. And you don't have worth because you don't have him. And there's an empty space that you've been looking for someone and it's who you're with. And it might be the close friend and you once had close friends and you're just longing for a close friend. But it might be a spouse. It might be a mate. It might be something more romantic along those lines. And as long as you have the right somebody with you, you feel worthy. But when the right somebody turns into the wrong somebody, you begin to look for anybody. Where do I find my worth? Would you, would you take a second before we move on? Because this is important. We're going to do soul work this morning. And it's important for you to begin to identify and answer that question. Where do I find my worth? Check those five areas. Which one? And, and just honest confession. Yeah, I think all five of those are true of me in some way or form, but there's one that's more predominant than the other. How about you? Just, just mark next to it if you have the courage, and you don't have to. Maybe you, can, you don't want somebody to see. That's fine. You just make it and go, hey, I'm mentally note. Now, let me just look at the impact of a misplaced self-worth. And note in your notes, it's misplaced. In our culture today, we talk a lot about a low self-esteem, have done a lot of things to help people with low self-esteem. In fact, we saw it as such an important factor that, that in our culture, we tried to figure out, okay, how are we going to help people have high self-esteems? And so what we did was be, we began to give trophies for nothing. You know what I mean? Come on. We, what'd you get that trophy for? Showing up. Did you win anything? No. All I did was I got last place and I got a trophy. And, and here's what we found was affirmation that had no connection to true evaluation of who we are actually did more harm and created a narcissistic society instead of creating a healthy self-worth. 
Okay, and, and so what's, what we need to realize is low self-esteem is not the issue. Misplaced self-worth is the issue. Uh, the impact of a misplaced self-worth, um, we've experienced this. This is common to us, so I can say it with confidence, is feelings of emptiness, insignificance. I won't ask you to raise your hands. I almost said, anyone? No, <laughs> that's okay. Emotional instability. See, the interesting part is in those five core areas, when you have them, you feel worthy for a season. And when you don't have them, you feel worthless. In fact, it does something along the lines like this. And you, oh boy, that's a lot heavier than I thought. This is what our, our self-worth tank, or if, if this is you, is we take self-worth and we have you know, what I do, how I feel about these sort of things, what I have, and we pour it into. The problem is there seems to be a hole underneath, and it doesn't matter how full you fill it. Eventually, it just... <laughs> drains out, doesn't it? And it creates emotional instability, and you live on this roller coaster. Insecurity, inferiority, consumed by a fear of failure. And that fear of failure moves you in one of two ways, either to be performance-oriented, I'm going to prove others wrong, I'm going to prove that I can do it, and so you meet certain standards. Or, on the flip side, to be passive. I can't, I won't, I'm (laughs) going to fail anyways. I'm not worth it. See, you either answer it one of two ways. I'm going to prove I'm worth it, or you just decide you're not worth it, so you don't try. Perfectionistic. Some are trying to so control their world, and it has this deep sense of self-worth. And that's the reason why, by the way, when your kids don't act the way you think they should act in public, it doesn't mean that they're bad kids, although they're probably not making good decisions. Your response generally, or my response, let's just be honest, is out of my own self-worth. Procrastination, indecisiveness, emotionally insulation, where you insulate yourself because if you don't feel good about yourself, if you don't have a proper self-worth, then, then you don't feel worthy to be loved. You don't know if anybody will truly accept the inner core of who you are, and so you begin to surround yourself with all sorts of things to protect you. Self-condemnation, hatred, and then finally, the biggest of all this is the inability to express love. Now, love is fundamentally an action. To love someone is to give to the other, and when our self-worth is low, what happens is instead of loving, being able to give to the other, you look from the other to get from. And so your relationships become how can they fulfill me and fill my self-worth tank because I don't have anything to give. Where do I find my worth, value, and significance? Really, the question 
that I want to answer for the remaining of our time is simply this. How do we replace a misplaced self-worth? I mean, how do you begin to move from a place of of misplaced self-worth to proper sense of worth and value and significance? Because if you go back up and you go, okay, if I have a proper sense of worth and experience emotional stability, a sense of security, an ability to express love, that, that what my actions won't be motivated out of fear, but just out of simply enjoying the reality of my worth. To do that, I, I want to look at three uh, fundamental areas that we ask, or three fundamental questions we ask, and, and I, I believe God's answer to this is so powerful and is so transformative for your life and for my life that if you would just simply stop and hear his estimation and his evaluation and, and move past the eight-year-old voice that keeps talking and allow the chatter of that voice to still and hear the strong voice of the eternal God, the evaluation of you. You begin to live from a sense of stability and security. Enjoyment instead of anxiety. Replacing a misplaced self-worth. There's three fundamental questions we ask when evaluating our self-worth. The first question is simply this. Does anybody want me? Another way to say this question is, am I worthy to be wanted? I mean, come on. Does anybody really want me? The problem with this question inherited is, is I need someone or something to make me worthy. By the way, this is one of the great harms to our relationships today. Because we go into our relationships feeling incomplete, feeling unfulfilled, and we're looking to someone to fulfill us, to complete us. You know that famous line, you complete me. Is that Jerry Maguire? Wasn't that, is that right? Okay, thank you. You complete me. Here's the problem. They can't complete you. They never will complete you. And as long as we're looking to someone to complete us, we will feel incomplete. And what happens in our relationships, relationally, and we've experienced this, is when you find that person and for a season they kind of fill you up just a little bit, but then it starts to drain out and maybe it's three years, four years, or five years. Eventually it's drained out and you realize they didn't complete me and so I'm going to find someone else. I must have married the wrong person. I must be dating the wrong person. Now, I want you to take a look at God's solution for one of our biggest questions around our sense of worth. Does anybody truly want me? Am I worthy to be wanted? In uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, and Whitney said it in the, in the um, video, the Apostle Paul writes this. It says, in him, and just over in him, write Jesus, we have, would you do, just do a little work with me in the text, would you? Okay, so we have a little squiggly mark under we have. Redemption, put a box around redemption. 
And then through his blood, just underline this. Because I just want you to hear God's answer to that question. I mean, have you ever thought about how God would answer that question? Maybe you've been too afraid to ever ask that question, but, but does anybody truly want me? And maybe the other question is, does God truly want me? Am I worthy to be wanted? And God's answer is this. In him, in Jesus, he is the focal point. He is the subject. We have present tense reality. This isn't like we're going to get And this isn't something that is somehow shifting along the way. This is the present tense reality, what's true of you for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We have redemption. Uh, To redeem means to release from bondage of slavery through the payment of a price, freeing someone from the penalty of death. And the idea of redemption is this. The word uh, comes from an ancient practice. And what would happen was at some point along the way to make payment for maybe debts that you had. You thought you're, you're renting land and you thought this land was going to be really productive, but you happen to have a drought. We don't know anything about that. And so you couldn't make good on the debts that you had on that land that you've been renting. And so to pay it off, you would sell yourselves or maybe even some family members to the owner as slaves to pay off the debt for the land. And so now you're enslaved. And then there would be a market where you could go back and purchase back your family members. That's the picture of what it means to be redeemed. And here's what God says when you ask the question, does anybody truly want me? He's like, let me me unpack this in the most graphic picture possible. In Christ, the focus, the subject, you have redemption. The moment of moving from slavery to freedom. But, but here's the problem with redemption is it costs. There's a debt and it costs money. You, there's a debt to be paid. And did you notice the price of payment in the text? Help me out here. I didn't study enough this week. Thank you. <laughs> a little mumbling there. I know. Through his blood. Now think about this. The amount to which someone is willing to sacrifice reveals just how much something is worth to them. The amount to which you're willing to sacrifice reveals just how much that thing is worth to them. The question, am I worthy to be wanted? Does anybody, does God truly want me? When God answers that, he answers that not just with like... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're okay, or yeah, kinda, I guess so. He says, you know how, how much worth I place on you, how valued, how significant, that though you were far and in slavery, I have redeemed you by the purchase, blood, uh, purchase price of my own blood. See, when we celebrate Easter coming up in, you know, what is it, five months or so, six months, we celebrate the God who pursued us when we were far from him. We celebrate the God who died for us 
and paid for us what we could never pay. And ultimately, it declares something that is so true about every single human being on the planet, regardless of whether you're follower Christ or not. What it reveals about you is that you have intrinsic worth. You have God-given imago Dei, as the Latin is, in the image of God. You have been created, and God sees something so worthy in you, he's willing to die for you. And if you'll let your heart be grasped by that truth, it will change your outlook in life. Because the truth is, come on. Truth is, you've been walking around, and I've been walking around, Hearing the voices saying, you don't measure up. Hearing the voices of, you know, that job, it didn't quite work out. It means you, you're not good enough. Hearing the voices of, nobody ever really truly loves you, and yet the God of the universe and the greatest statement that could ever be made said, you are worthy. See, the God's solution is you are redeemed. You are redeemed. When answering the question, does anybody truly want me, the creator of the universe says with an affirmative, yes, I do, and I'll go to whatever lengths to make sure I get you back. Think about that. God said, you're worthy of my time. God said, you're worthy of my energy. God said, you're worthy of my attention. God said, you're worthy of my sacrifice because you are my precious, beloved creation in whom I delight and whom I would die for. God's solution is redemption. For us, the action actually is to admit. Admit we need redeeming. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Colossians would say it this way, For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. For some, you are in a cycle of trying to prove your worth or just in the Eeyore realm of, nobody loves me. Reality And God's solution is redeemed. Statement, current sta- reality of you. You are redeemed. And you need to admit, I need to be redeemed. I need to stop trying to prove myself. I need to stop doing, having, and all those other things. Not because they're bad things, but because the motivation in my heart is somehow to prove that I'm worthy and you don't need to prove it anymore. And you admit, I need rescuing question then is, what do I need rescuing from? What do I need to be redeemed from? And it brings us to the next big question that we ask when evaluating our self-worth. When we help replacing our, this misplaced self-worth. And the next question is, what about my biggest failures? Next question we ask is, do my failures make me worthless? problem when we face our biggest and our greatest failures in and of ourselves the only option we have is i must deny pretend like they don't exist i must 
diminish them. It's not really that big of a deal. It wasn't all that, you know, it was a little lie. It was a little cheat. It was just a little looking online. It was whatever. Or cast blame for my failure to feel worthy. See, we don't like this in our culture either. See, for the first one, we, to experience the redemption of God, we have to admit we need it. Here, we've we, we got to come to the frank reality that all of us stand and have to address the failures in our life. See, in our culture, we'll hear stuff like this. Well, don't judge me. What's interesting about that is, is when we say, don't judge me, it, what it actually is, is, is this public declaration that I've already judged myself. I already feel bad about myself. Don't judge me. I just want you to affirm this. We even say it this way. I, just accept me. Just accept this is the way it is. Just accept. And the truth underneath that statement is that we don't really accept ourselves. And so we project we put up a front. We put others down to feel good about ourselves. We pretend to be better than we are and put up a facade. We compare obsessively somehow to see, am I doing better or worse? One of the reasons we struggle with our self-worth or value is because we are indebted to the core of our being. See, if there's a purchase price to be paid, we have to ask the question, well, what happened? Why are we in debt? Paul says this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness, literally, this word is the cancellation of debt. The act of freeing from obligation, guilt, punishment, or liberty. That word sins is, is actually the, the Greek word where we get our word trespasses. It's a false step. It means to fall. It's a failure, a deviation, a violation of moral law. God estimation of humanity and the reality is, is our greatest problem in life isn't external but internal. Our greatest problem in life starts and permeates from the soul. Our greatest problem in life is the issue of sin. The issue of breaking God's moral law. Now, we go, well, I don't, I don't like that. Okay. I know. The problem is we don't even keep our own moral law. The reason I know that is every one of us in this room at some point has said, I'm sorry, haven't we? That's just simply a public confession that I didn't keep my own standards, let alone God's standards. But sin, this problem, this violation of the standard of what life was meant to be lived, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, remember, with the, uh, the Ten Commandments. If you just look at the Ten Commandments, they're just the estimation of how life is best lived. When we don't lie to each other, it's a better world. When we don't steal from each other, it's a better world. When we don't murder each other, it's a better world. But when we do that, it brings death 
and destruction and harm and separation. When we lie to each other, it brings separation between us. When we covet what others have, it brings separation and death and ultimately brings separation between God and us. Um, I've told this story before, but um, it fits so well here. Uh, Bear with me as I tell it again. It's been a while, so many of you may not remember it. Uh, My son, Miles, it was a little over a year ago, a year and a half ago. He he was walking with my wife uh, from school, after school pickup, and, uh, or drop-off, actually. So he wasn't going to school. My two olders were going to school. And Jenny's walking back with Miles and talking with some other moms. And Miles picks up the biggest rock that he can find. And I'm not sure what got into his head, but he, he throws the rock as high in the sky as he can. And, and I asked him later, I said, Son, what, what were you thinking? He said, Dad, I was trying to hit the moon. Well, you missed. (laughs) What he did hit was a brand new Audi. Landed squarely on the hood, significant dent, and then fell uh, behind lodged between the hood and the windshield. My wife, doing what I hope I would do, left a note. I'm not sure if I would or not, but I, I, just, just honest confession here. I hope I would. Left a note. The guy couldn't have been nicer. Price, however, of a dent on the, his brand new Audi was $742.56. Problem. Could kind of ignore it. Go, you know what? That, that wasn't that big of a deal. No, it still cost $742.56. Kind of diminished. It was just a dent. At least it didn't crash the whole car. Yeah, it's still $700.42.56. Blame someone else. And we're good at blaming other people. Well, you know what? I... If mom hadn't been talking to someone, then I wouldn't have had the opportunity to sit here with this rock and throw it up into the sky. Thank you very much. Actually, it's not my fault. It's your fault. And we do that all the time. Forgiveness is the payment of debt. In fact, it's the payment of debt that we can't pay. See, my son, as a four-year-old boy, has no earthly way of paying for the Audi. $742.56. There's no earthly way. He can do a whole load of very good things, and yet it still will mean nothing in regards to paying for the Audi. And so took out my wallet, (laughs) technically credit card. He needed a dad to pay the $742.56 for the Audi. See, God's solution for our sins 
is forgiveness. Forgiveness is free to us, but it does not mean it isn't costly. See, a proper understanding of grace is that we live in grace, in the grace of God, that he so loved us, that he died for us, but that payment Though free to us, cost him through his blood the forgiveness, the cancellation of debts, of sins. See, if the first, if the solution to a misplaced self worth is God said, You are redeemed, and for us, we need to admit we need rescue. The second is, You are forgiven, and we need to confess we have sinned. I know this is unpopular. But let me ask you, how's your current solution to your unpacking of your self-worth? How's it working for you? If it's not going so well, I'd invite you to try this. God's solution. You are forgiven. You need to admit, I need rescuing and that I have a debt that I did that I can't undo that I need a heavenly father to take care of and confess. Yeah, it's me. And God's affirmation and estimation of you forgiven, paid for, most of us so diminish or dismiss our sin and we don't sit with it enough to feel the gravity and the weight of the freedom that was brought by the cross. You are forgiven. First question we have to wrestle with is what am I worth? Does anybody truly want me? Second is, what about my greatest failure? God's solution is you're forgiven. The third question is, do I have enough to be enough? Or, or better yet said is, can anything or anyone truly make me worthy? Uh, maybe if you've been doing this a while and maybe if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been going uh, through the motions and you still feel like, ah, oh, that self-worth and my identity and my value, uh, it, it might be said this way. Is there a limit to God's redemption or forgiveness? I mean, is there really a limit? Because uh, as we said even earlier on, does grace have a limit? Is there like an end point where, where this thing just kind of like, God's had enough? You ever felt that way? Like, man, Ingram, I've sat with my sin. and I, I, The reason I dismiss it because I don't feel like God's grace is big enough. Do I have enough to finally be enough? And the problem is, as you know and I know, we feel this. I must meet certain standards to prove my worth. And then we take that into our relationship with God, don't we? And I gotta prove and I gotta do this. And grace got me this far, but I gotta take it a little bit further. It couldn't cover everything. And that's, so what's, that's what's so radical about grace. Is grace takes you the whole way. Grace covered the whole debt. You are, present tense, hello, redeemed. And what God has done, you cannot undo. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. I'm going to just put our passage in its full context. We'll 
I put it in the, my notes uh, or in your notes the way I, I begin to unpack a passage in my own journal and notes. In him, Jesus, by the way, right next to that, right subject, we have, next to we, right object, we're doing a little grammar here for you, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. You know, there's two verbs in this sentence, by the way. We have and then lavished. You always ask in the text, what is God's activity? What is he up to? And he he answered is, he is lavishing. The verb is, he is lavishing his grace. It is like, I can't help but give you more. And as a result, the other verb is something that we possess because he's lavishing. We have redemption. Now, now this is important. The reason I had you write subject and object here is the problem for us many times is we are the subject of our stories in this life. And that was never intended for how we're supposed to live. In fact, the very beginning of the Bible starts off this way. In the beginning, God. Making it very clear, he's the subject of history and of all our stories See, when you're the subject, by the way, you have to work hard to validate your worth. When you're the object, you get to rest on Jesus' work for your value and your worth. It makes a big difference. Now notice, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, God's not poor on grace. God's not running out of grace. He doesn't somehow have a limited store of grace. That word riches is just this overflowing, it just cannot can't be contained grace. He's got more than enough that he lavished on us. Grace, God's undeserved favor, his pursuing good towards you. And I love this word lavish. Abundance marked by excess, downpour of rain. See, God's solution to do I have enough is you have grace. And grace is more than enough. Grace began the work. Grace meets you in the middle of the work and grace will finish the work. What you'll notice as we've been studying through this text, uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, is you'll notice Paul continuously says, in him. And, and we had this illustration at the beginning that, that we're right here and everything's kind of running out. Now, what's interesting is what Paul says is that we're in Christ and that he lavishes on us. Oh boy, I need to get a better pen. Christ, you can't even see that. You have faith, you have faith that it's there? Good. You're in Christ. Now check that out. You're in Christ. And then what he does is he lavishes his grace on you. And so grace fills you to overflowing. Grace allows you to contain more or in Christ contain more of him than you could on your own. You just keep filling it up and up. And do I have enough? I don't know. Do you have enough? I'm not really sure. Do you, oh, hang on. Let's just, just get that out of the way. Do you have enough? I don't know. Because here's what Paul's saying. 
It's a worthless pen anyways. <laughs> you are in Christ. And that makes all the difference. And in Christ, you experience redemption, forgiveness, the lavish love and grace of God. And in Christ, you can hold more than what you can hold because you're in Christ. Replacing a misplaced self-worth starts with admitting your need. Confessing your sin. And then having the courage to receive grace. Okay, God, I can't. I can't. And for some, you need to hear this because you've been in the Christian life for a while. I once was talking with some friends who were in the human trafficking and helping get people out of human trafficking and sex slavery. And it was interesting as they were recounting to me, he said, you know, Ryan, uh, the hard, hardest part about this process isn't getting people out of slavery, though certainly that is hard. It's getting the slave out of the person. And for some, today is your moment with God where you go, okay, I know that I've been in Christ, but I've really been operating from this standpoint. And I'm going to receive by grace. I'm going to, okay, God. Jesus, would you help me to live out my in Christness this week? And for some, you've never started a relationship. And you walked in this moment and you've, you've wrestled with all those things that I talked about because that's a human problem. But you need a supernatural answer to it. You need a God who's bigger than your problem. You need forgiveness that's greater than your biggest failures. And you need grace that will see you from beginning to end. And today is the day of salvation where if you step and say, Jesus, I need you, would you come into my life and make me new? The answer and the confession is then you are in Christ. Present tense reality. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this moment. And I pray for my friends, and I pray for those that, in this room that uh, this moment brought up so much for them that you would meet them, that you would speak to them. Holy Spirit, would you do with surgical work what needs to be done in our soul? For those who are believing lies, would you help them to understand that your truth and your grace is ready? God, for those who are far from you, would you overwhelm them with your love and your grace? In Jesus' name, amen.